You're listening to I Have Some Notes, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. Liam, I've got a movie pitch for you. It's about one-on-one giant robot fights piloted by genetically engineered humans looking to settle global conflicts in a post-nuclear future. Aw, hell yeah, that sounds sick. It's called Robot Jocks. Sorry, what? Robot Jocks, with an X to make it sound extreme. I have some notes. Welcome, everyone, to I Have Some Notes, the movie podcast with cuts, keeps, punch-ups, and tweaks on mediocre movies as suggested by you. I'm your host, Liam Kreswick. I'm Scott C. Bourgeois. I'm Greg Beaver. And we are joined today by uh, a now longtime guest. You're now you're now just a regular guest, uh, which I love. I love that title for you. Um, you've heard of mine on the show before. He is also one of two editors of the Hugo Book Club blog. Uh, welcome back to the show, Olav Rockney. Thank you. It's good to be here. Yeah, glad to have you. Great pick. Thank you. Uh, I am so grateful that you chose me uh, to be the guest to speak about this uh very fine piece of cinema this classic <laughs> of uh fighting robots i'm a simple man um mm-hmm. and i have simple tastes <laughs> and if you tell me a movie has two gigantic robots beating the shit out of each other uh i'm there i'm there and it doesn't <laughs> matter if it's uh real steel it doesn't matter if it's um uh, pacific rim it doesn't matter if it's robot jocks. I am there. Even even a robot in disguise? A transformer? <laughs> Wincing on that one. <laughs> Didn't mean to poke holes in your enthusiasm, but... You've got a good point there. Um, I don't even consider those robots, though. They're like alien beings. That's great. I love it. Get them on a technicality. The yeah. robot fighting genre is a flawless one. Um, yeah as long as they're man-made that's the important it's the key part if you define your genre with enough specificity uh you can declare that everything within that genre is good yeah (laughs) (laughs) and therefore and therefore your tastes are impeccable Mm -hmm. um yeah this was uh this was a fun one i i I liked watching this i off the top though i just want to talk about where we all watched it um because we were trying to figure out where to find it we were concerned we weren't going to be able to find this uh great piece of 90s cinema uh streaming on any regular service certainly without having to maybe rent it from somewhere and then i discovered it was actually on tubi (laughs) and then we were all like the hell is tubi (laughs) (laughs) it's free (laughs) or you can you can sign up for it or you can watch stuff with ads and they've got a selection of films and television and one of them happens to be robot jocks so i was like Mm -hmm. let's just smack tubi on the on the smart tv and watch it with ads which fun fact 
50% of the ads that they run crash the app on my smart TV. Like, just <laughs> kill it dead. And I had to start the movie over and fast forward to where I was. Oh, that oh was, really? That, that's really funny because I was actually going to take a moment to praise the ads for a second because <laughs> I felt like for, for something that's free... Um, the amount of ad breaks were super reasonable and super short. Like I only yeah. got two ad breaks and they were about 15 to 30 seconds each, which is totally fine. Like I, yeah, I got, yeah, I've had more ads. ad breaks in YouTube videos. Yeah. I got two ads total. Yeah. That's what I had. Yeah. And yeah, I, yeah, had, I think I had a, I had about three, but for whatever reason they didn't crash my app, but they also, except for one for like a fighting game didn't load either. So I would just have like a one minute like moment of silence three times throughout this movie where I'm no. like, Oh, I can look at my phone guilt free, got up, got a bubbly sat back down. And then the ads were over the ad quote unquote ad break. That was just a black screen. Maybe it's just my, my particular television is not really super compatible with the app. Hard to say, but <laughs> it legitimately would, I had the same problem Liam did. They weren't loading the ads, but then it would hitch and just nothing would happen. And I'd sit there for minutes and nothing would happen. So I had to reload it and start it over and fast forward to where I was. <laughs> what I loved is that at the end of the movie, it starts to autoplay the next one. Uh, and what came up at random, I think was battle beyond the stars which reminded me that that's a movie that actually exists and I had watched <laughs> multiple times because my childhood video store had a copy of it. Well, yeah, there's some great, sounds like there's some great free content on Tubi. Honestly, <laughs> uh, Robot Jocks I saw because my childhood video store had it when I originally saw it back in the 90s. I also find it amusing that we were watching this movie on a platform called Tubi because the pejorative it uses for the test tube genetic engineered people mm. is Tubies. <laughs> yeah. Immediately giggled. I wonder if that was just a natural fit. They were just like, well, we got to this. This is our Mickey Mouse. Athena's our mascot for the whole channel. <laughs> Could have done yeah, worse. They got, they got to attach it to something. They didn't like we were pointing out earlier in the pre-rec. We were talking about how. Robocop was their big get. They yeah, got the, the, the entire, the, almost the entire Robocop filmography. The marquee yep. movie is Robocop followed by the Mr. Bean collection. <laughs> Robocop's great. Oh, it oh, is. Yeah. yeah, but as like the biggest thing on your platform is pretty funny. And interestingly, this one actually almost got renamed because Robocop came out before it. Oh, yeah. Mm. Did you guys dig into the production? history of this thing no not particularly no please and please enlighten me well or uh, let me let me set up the 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 nuts and bolts of it and then and then i would love to hear about the production stuff because i just went on a Stuart gordon rabbit hole um trying to look up the production history and then was just like oh yeah reanimator so uh i do want to hear this but first just for those who might not uh, uh know the the deets uh this of course robot jocks the film came out in 1989 uh, some sources say 1990, one of those kind of movies, uh, directed by Stuart Gordon from Reanimator fame, uh, written by Stuart Gordon and Joel Haldeman. Uh, it stars Gary Graham as Achilles, Anne Marie Johnson as Athena, Paul Coslow as Alexander, uh, Robert Sampson, uh, Danny Kamakona, Hilary Mason, Michael Aldridge, and Jeffrey Combs. Combs? Combs. Combs? He's Combs. Someone correct me. <laughs> I don't know, actually. <laughs> okay, cool. Good. I've already I've always heard Combs. Yeah. Probably um, Combs. 
That's I like what the word is. I don't know why I said Coombs. <laughs> <laughs> I like that Stuart Gordon threw Jeffrey Combs a uh, uh, cameo because obviously they'd worked together previously in Reanimator and other films. And he was just like, Jeff, come on down and put on a crummy hat and shout some stuff with a bunch of angry rabble <laughs> and get credited for it. Yeah. There were loads of crummy, crummy hats in this movie and loads of crummy props. <laughs> um, yeah. Tell, tell me more about the, the production history, Olaf, because this movie looks like it was shot on a game show set. Oh, no. It was the most expensive movie that Empire uh, Features ever made uh, with, I think, a total cost uh, exceeding six or seven million dollars. And they filmed in Italy to keep to to get value for their money. And like the special effects for the day were actually pretty good for that budget. And the history here is so crazy. And when I looked into it, I'm like, wait a minute, Joe Haldeman wrote this. I know Joe Haldeman. Like, I don't know him well. I think he probably knows my name. We've been at a few parties together. I've chatted oh, with him. He, we're friends on Facebook. Um, <laughs> I even actually reached out to him uh, about this podcast when I realized that he'd written the movie, but I didn't hear back from him. Um, <laughs> as I say, don't know him that well. He's <laughs> just this super nice guy. He's won the Hugo Award for Best Novel twice uh, for The Forever War and for Forever Peace, and I think 93 was the second one. But Forever War is this, uh, I mean, he fought, he fought in Vietnam. He came back and he wrote the science fiction novel about um, how the world changes when somebody is away at war. So the, the book is about these soldiers who go travel light years to another system to fight, but it takes them a century to get back. So they leave Earth and then they come back a century later and everything's different. And then they go back for another tour and come back and everything's different. It's just this great novel. Now, I actually almost, uh, I was seriously considering picking it for the next novel for my other podcast because we were looking for a science fiction novel and that was one that, uh, that I was seriously looking into. It's legitimately great. Um, and I, I really like Joe Haldeman, both as a writer and actually as a, as a person. So you, you look into the history of this one and Stuart Gordon, uh, reached out to Joe Haldeman and said, hey, I'd like to do a stage play adaptation of The Forever War. And Stuart Gordon actually adapted Forever War to the stage. Interesting. And, um, Joe Haldeman liked it. And so they started talking about doing The Forever War as a movie. And this is the result. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, yeah. And <clears throat> Haldeman uh, does not like this movie. Uh, from every indication I have seen in articles, as I say, I, I reached out to him, but didn't hear back for this podcast. But when you look on articles, he's like, yeah, they kind of lobotomized this, um, this, the ideas. And actually, at one point, the script was called The Mechanics. And it was still a giant robot fighting movie, but like more grounded and less cliche driven. And I mean, Joe Haldeman, no, being ex-military himself, knows the military and wanted to write like real soldiers in this kind of circumstance. And Stuart Gordon was like, no, we need to make the lovable hotshot pilot. We need the love interest. We need the 
uh, cliched Texan. So yes. It's like <laughs> there, there was this tension there, and you can still see little bits of Joe Haldeman showing through. And I like to think everything good about this movie comes from Joe Haldeman. There, that's my <laughs> rant. There you go. No, I love that. Um, yeah, because there's it has some neat ideas. Like even the way he's he's a uh, you know like the 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 kitchen where he like it's like an open concept microwave. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and just like the the you know the general concept of robot fighting as a control room looks slick. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was shocked by like how quickly the the movie went by. Like it's it's. Uh, I think it's it can't be any more than nine, 90 minutes, right? And like, there's not a whole lot to the movie, especially there's, when you consider that two of the subplots don't go anywhere. There's there's almost nothing. Yeah, uh, there's also a surprising lack of robot fighting in this robot fighting movie. Yeah, that I'm gonna I would give that a pass just because of you know the era and the special effects and how expensive they were. Like clearly, all the special effects took up like the majority of the budget. Because yeah. the, the sets are just so stripped bare. There's, you know, they, they, they the, I laughed really hard at his hover car uh, <laughs> because they, they very clearly just like riveted a bunch of like plexiglass onto like some sort of like wood frame and like, there's your future car. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, I think every note that we have for this movie needs to recognize the fact that it's from a specific time. And yep. from a very specific budget range, like yep. mm-hmm. I, I don't think you can give notes to somebody who can only spend six million dollars on a movie and say you need to spend, you know, sixty million here. In <laughs> fairness, I don't think there needs to be more robot fights in this movie. I think there just needs to be a better robot fight in this movie. Yeah, and that that's that is the thing with the robot fights that it turns into a space battle. At one point, like they're flying yep, through for, space for reasons, and I'm like, why not just, you know, use that budget to have them punch each other more? Yeah, instead oh. of putting them in space, <laughs> or having them turn into a tank for some reason. Was that? I was gonna say, obviously, it's models in all the other ones, but was that footage of a tank with like a hat on? I have no clue. I was watching it. And I'm like, I think that's a real tank. I think they got a tank for a day and dressed it like a <laughs> a a uh, mech kneeling over and using tire tread uh, shins or calves. Or at the very least, it could have been like a little remote control mini or something like that, right? Oh, man, yeah, I was. Yeah. I got some. I got some serious like giant monster Power Rangers vibes from a lot of the the stuff in this movie. Oh. And so I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was just like an RC tank that had been dressed up as a robot. I, I do think that before we start giving notes, we need to give like a rough outline of the fact there's, you know, the hotshot American pilot, the Russian, uh, like, psychotic, psychotic pilot. They've got a rivalry for some reason. And the American pilot has this romantic thing going with the uh, clone girl. And there's yeah. the boss. Tubi. The Tubi. The Tubi. The boss who turns out to be a traitor and this whole plot line about uh, weapons uh, secrets being passed on to the Russians. But like, it does feel... Like there's 
both nothing there and also a whole lot of confusion. Like, it's a shaggy dog in some ways. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Also, the ending of the movie is a big nothing burger. Like, the psychotic Russian who does some terrible things in the course of the movie gets no comeuppance. He gets... Uh, he gets to have a high five, like a, a windmill high five with the hotshot pilot at the end. And now they're <laughs> friends for some reason. Like, and we never, it makes no sense. Him meet up with, uh, with the Tubi. Like, no, Athena, yeah. Athena just is gone after that. Yeah. And never referred to again. I like the shaggy dog analogy. Cause it really, it just, it, it introduces a lot of cool ideas and then just like, okay, bye. <laughs> Here's. <laughs> Here's here's a great indication of the writing in this movie. They make a big deal about the secret weapons and how uh, Dr. Matsumoto installed this new secret weapon uh, before he was killed, but it he told no one about it. And it turns out to be this uh, weapon that will blind Alexander at a critical moment. And Athena gets told to use it and uses it. And Alexander, not expecting it, is caught off guard and is blinded by it. And he's blinded for, they're like, he could be blinded for up to 90 seconds. And he indeed spends like a minute fully blinded. And Athena does nothing while he's blinded. She just stands there and pats herself on the back and gets congratulated for using the weapon and does not in any way do anything while he's blind. And then he stops being blind and beats the crap out of her. (laughs) That is... That is the quality of writing in this film. <laughs> well, it sounds like we're about to really deep, d- dive deep into this, so let's yeah, uh, let's throw the trailer and uh, and get right into it. It's a new age of combat. Human beings, genetically engineered to be the best fighters in history. Two champions. It isn't over until someone wins. <laughs> At war with each other. <laughs> Kill it! I have already killed you. Two invincible men. Let's finish it, Alexander. Here now. The ultimate killing machines. I'm gonna get in this thing, and I'm gonna kick your... Having witnessed the barbaric cost of war following a nuclear holocaust, mankind has learned to solve their differences in a much more civilized manner. Giant Robot Gladiator Punch-Out. The world's western and eastern spheres of influence, the market, and the confederation duke it out for territory in a winner-takes-all robot bout to the finish. Confederation champion Alexander has dealt the market a series of crippling defeats thanks in large part to a mole within the western ranks. Facing a major disadvantage, all hope rests in the hands of Achilles, the market's only undefeated robot jockey. Well, that and a bunch of genetically engineered test tube humans, but don't worry, they don't play any role in the story. After a disastrous accident kills hundreds of spectators, Achilles must find the strength to get back into his robot and rock'em sock'em to a Russian villain. I think that, like this film uh, introduces like uh, some really interesting things and then just like does not bother following up on any of it. <laughs> Who are the judges and why does everybody trust them? Like I, this is a this is a world with two powers and these judges aren't beholden to either of them. How does that work? How? <laughs> they're it's obviously they're Switzerland. <laughs> I, I mean, I, it's probably the same logic that had someone be like, you know what needs to go right next to the giant robot fights? Spectator booths. 
Um, <laughs> At least they address that, that. They address that the the spectators all had to sign a waiver to be there in case. I love of that they do it being after, murdered. Though yeah. <laughs> I laughed my ass off at that. I earnestly was like, it set the tone for the whole movie for me. Where I'm like, okay, we're just falling on the stadium of guys. Great. And then later they add the line of, well, they all signed a waiver. They knew what they were getting into. I'm like, you guys came up with that after deciding you were going to crush the spectators. <laughs> yeah, someone, someone in the writer room went. Um, we um, should maybe address this. <laughs> The sad thing is how prescient they are about the spectators in this, because every spectator is wearing a face mask. It's like, it's a congregate setting, they're watching a sporting event, they all have to be wearing face masks. Yeah, they never explained the face mask thing. I'm like, is this going to have, like, weird, like, COVID undercurrents? Is this going to make me, like, is this a pandemic movie? Well, I mean, No, they just, for some reason, there's scenes where everyone's wearing masks there was a nuclear exchange at one point and i kind of buy that they probably need to wear the masks for fallout reasons yeah they just radioactive and then like covid only half of them are wearing it then yeah 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 (laughs) (laughs) some of them like they're they've they've they're healthy right like they don't need to worry about radioactive (laughs) isotopes (laughs) i don't actually know if i have notes so much as i have questions I have some questions <laughs> this time. That's totally fair. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like why like why did they even introduce the spy plot? Because it doesn't go anywhere. Like what oh, effect that's the does only that part have? That does make No, I why did they introduce the Tubi thing? It doesn't go anywhere. No, because the like spi- the, thing, the spy thing goes somewhere kind of. Sort of kind of not really like he like yes it's the it's it's sort of like the impetus for like why they're losing all the all the matches. But it doesn't have it doesn't change the outcome of the story at all. And right? the, the thing here is that w- we have to recognize that there is an undercurrent of social commentary to the tubies in that uh, it isn't fully developed, but they they, they set the tubies up as this uh, this underclass, this less respected othered group, right? Okay, sure. There's also a bit of racism as they casually throw around sinophobic slurs here and there. But the real underclass isn't Asian Americans. It's, it's the Tubies in this world. Yeah. And I almost feel like that is an interesting angle that could have been fully developed. Like, if we want to talk about a heroic journey, it's not the already privileged white uh-huh. hero dude. Uh-huh. You start with the underprivileged, disadvantaged person, and have them as the center of the movie. You're you're already ahead of me because uh, yeah, I've got I've got changes to the third act of this movie that that resolve a lot of these issues. Yeah. It it really leaving the the to be thing introduced and then completely unexplored. I think is the biggest flaw. The spy thing is just really obvious and easy. Like they oh, telegraph yeah. who it is from a mile away. Oh yeah, you the uh, first time you're introduced to text, you're like, oh, that guy's the spy. Like the spy. there's there's. There's cognitive tests more challenging than figuring out who the spy is in this movie. Like person, woman, man, camera, text is the spy. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, like, they, like they, it makes a a pretty huge unforced error in in that um, Achilles uh, has already gone through his decision to fight um, uh, Alexander by the by the time. Uh, Athena chooses to like 
uh, subvert him and like mm-hmm. knock him out and then fight Alexander herself, right? So like, there's no there's no reason like there's there, there's no change that he undergoes. Like he's already he's already completed his arc. He he didn't want to fight anymore. He completed his ten fights. He's retired, right? And then th- like you would think that like the reason that it would get back in is that she tries to fight Alexander and he then Alexander defeats her and, and then it's sort of like a revenge thing or whatever, right? But like that's not what happens. And I think that's why the ending is so um uh unsatisfying. Nothing. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna tiptoe into my changes, but I think that the arc that is missing for Achilles is that this is his passing the torch story. And the arc that's missing yeah. for Athena is this is her underdog story. And the arc that's missing for Alexander is that he doesn't get what he wants. He gets defeated by a person he thinks is less than him because she is both a Tubi and a woman. Yeah. And that's that's me getting way ahead of myself into my changes. No, I may have spoiled some stuff, I don't think but it's like those, that's what's missing. It's just that obvious. Like, yeah. it's just you watch this and you're like, wow, you introduce three completely reasonable plot lines. And then they sort go of abandon all of yeah. them. Um, it's it's like it's the equivalent of like watching someone like fall asleep writing, where it just turns into like, Ugh. like maybe this is just the case where the the fixes are so obvious that once we get to the second half, we just talk about Spider Man instead. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I've got I've got some I've got some thoughts for the third act yeah, of this movie, I, it's, and I've it's got so obvious. I've got a killer like, final fight in mind that I want to walk you through too. Such so. a simple set of like cliched story beats that I just like sort of wrote them out and was like, oh, just like put that here, put that there, yeah. So, but what did we, what did we like about this? Like, what was what endeared us to this? Because it, like, I had more fun with this than RoboCop twenty fourteen <laughs> <laughs> that we did last week. I mean, it's very much like late eighties, early nineties schlock. And if you've heard me talk about my love for Johnny Mnemonic before, you know that that's kind of like. That's my weakness. That's my critical weakness. Paul, so I Paul, kind Paul. of enjoy this. Uh, yeah, I, I I enjoy this movie in spite of uh, its flaws. And uh, honestly, the the robot fights, while sparse, the they still look pretty good. Like they look a little hokey, the, but for the special effects of the time, they're not bad. Yeah. Oh yeah. They looked fine. I wanted more of them. Very much so. Yeah. Paul Coslow, though, he's just just so fun to watch in this i'm gonna kill you achilles like his (laughs) his like hamming it up and his chewing of scenery is just delightful oh yeah he knows the movie he's in and he's there to have a good time (laughs) yeah yeah honestly there was a little bit more of that because like the the robot jocks has a lot of b-movie charm and and yeah. I'm all for that. Like the you know, there's and there's you can see like there, especially in the in the, in the robot fights. Like there's a lot of effort there. Like you, you, the movie for me gets like an A for effort on the special effects front, even even though like they clearly dumped most of their budget into those effects and then not much. Uh, and, yeah, the production design is, is left wanting there's for sure. Sets where we barely see them. Like some of the best sets we barely see. Like. The scenes where they walk by the feet of the robot and it's like, yeah, I buy that this is a gigantic robot. And then you go to the control room and it is like bad era Doctor Who quality (laughs) set. It's so weird how much time they spend on bad sets when they had these great sets elsewhere. 
the apartment was like the set that was the most amusing to me because it was clearly just made of like some wood and some paper (laughs) and some literally paper and then they just threw some like generic sci-fi looking props in there yeah like oh yeah he's got like a sculpture that lights up for some reason and uh we'll put a we'll put a like a machine in the corner that just like makes beep boops and it's got it's got one of my favorite um sci-fi tropes from the 80s and 90s which is futuristic pillows where the (laughs) pillows are like a shape that nobody would want for a pillow like in star trek they like in next generation they had these awful triangle pillows and like those don't look comfortable and these like these this guy's got just like a like a long tube like a couple long tubes for pillows like doesn't look like that would that would uh, cause some uh, some neck problems i'm sure i did like the fact that they wrecked up that apartment set though eventually like just his remote controlled car scene <laughs> yeah yeah that, that was nifty <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, like, if it was held together with gum and tape, you might as well destroy it and at least yeah. get, get a good scene out of it. I legit kind of like the costumes in the movie. I think that yeah. they're charming. I like the, the like, the the robot fight flight suits yeah. and, uh, yeah. like, te- like Tex's, like, like uh, uh, uniform and uh, the commissioner's, like, suit. Like, they look pretty snazzy. I, I quite buy that. I like it. I like the fact that they're so unapologetic about it. Like, there is no point where it feels like anybody is unaware of the movie they're in. But they're like, <laughs> yeah, you came here to see robots fight. We're not yeah. we're not going highbrow here. Yeah. Yeah, everybody's everybody's acting at like a ten in this movie. Uh and they're everyone's who like Gary Graham, uh Anne Marie Johnson, Paul Coslow. Uh, Michael Aldridge, everyone is is just sinking their teeth into everything around them as they go through this movie. And it kind of works for it. It kind of works that everything's just a little over the top. Yeah. Can I go back to the wardrobe just for a second? Because I, I was thinking about the, the spandex suits that they wear. And those were incredible because they leave nothing to the imagination <laughs> at all. <laughs> can see I mean, every they, contour <laughs> they definitely slipped a nude scene in there so oh yeah yeah that um that shower scene that actually made me giggle because um they're you know they're standing they're they're in the the locker room and i think it's athena talking to achilles and uh i tex. don't know if it was tex or whatever but like yeah. they're having a chat and then she, she she's done so she moves on to the to the shower and she and the shower is still in the background as they're finishing the scene and there's already like one dude having a having a quote-unquote shower in there and she just stops right behind him and clearly like there's no more room to move on that set and she doesn't move for the rest of the scene she just stands right behind this dude awkwardly and i got a good chuckle out of that it actually the 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 shower scene and the implied uh, comfort that people in this future society have around naked bodies reminded me of Starship Troopers, the movie. Yeah. And it's interesting because this came out, what, six years before Starship Troopers, the movie. Yeah. But Joe Haldeman's novel was a response to Starship Troopers, the, no- the, the novel. So it's like sci-fi yeah. commenting on itself and reflecting back and forth. It's Neat. A fun fact: 
It's funny because the movie itself is actually a commentary on the novel. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the novel is, uh, for, for those of you who never read the novel, the novel is pretty fashy. And uh, the people who made the movie decided to make a movie that was a lot more um, uh, uh, satirical about that fashiness. You're talking about Starship Troopers. I yeah, yeah, Starship that. Troopers. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. It took me a second. I was like, what? Robot jocks? Sorry, I may, oh, no, he's talking about Starship Troopers. I may not have been clear on that. I was specifically yeah. referring to uh, to Starship Troopers. This is, in fact, the only movie that Joe Haldeman was involved in. None of his works have been adapted to the theater, to, 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 to movie. It's, this is the only <gasps> script he's done, as far as I can tell. And I'm like, you've got Joe Haldeman, like, working with you. And you decide to do robot jocks, not like a straight adaptation of um, Forever War, because like Forever War would sell. Like, mm-hmm. I wonder if it's not in the budget. I wonder if they didn't have the budget to do two or three different hundred-year societies, and they're like, "We can." I got two giant robots in a paper control room. You know, I know that there's a lot of Hollywood types who listen to our show because mm-hmm. obviously they they want our insights. Um, but <laughs> in all in all seriousness, in in a world where Interstellar and Arrival both came out and are heady sci-fi movies with huge budgets that did killer at the box office, and at the very least in Arrival's case, did did pretty good come award season. Um, you could make Forever War <laughs> like that. That's that's a sci-fi premise that would work. There's obviously an audience there for it. Sorry, Give it to Denis Villeneuve and away you go. Like, so you're saying Arrival, not the Arrival. Yeah, Arrival. Okay. The Denis Villeneuve film. Right, not the Charlie Sheen, the Arrival. Yeah, Correct. You're yes. being cute. <laughs> <laughs> you're being... Well, sorry, we're in the 90s still, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's fair. No, I mean today um, in today's sci-fi environment, with your annihilations and and your whatnots, you could you could easily do a forever war. You know what? I actually just talking about which eras. I think I realized what my number one note for this movie is. Mm. Have it be nineteen ninety. Like watch this in nineteen ninety instead <laughs> of in twenty twenty two. Well, that would definitely help for sure. Yeah. And I don't know. This is my first time with it. I had fun. I was like, yeah, I had a great still got time some cash. To be experience. I was like, <laughs> yeah, it had B movie charm. Um, even 20, 22 years later. Well, let's uh, let's say we we actually get to the the meat of this. Uh, here from our friends at the Alberta Podcast Network, and then we have some notes. With PodPower, our sponsors are making it possible to amplify the voices of Albertans and Alberta podcasters. This episode, the Edmonton Community Foundation is helping us give a PodPower shout-out to Your Forest. Your Forest is a podcast about the natural world. Hear stories about the environment, renewable resources, conservation, forestry, hunting, fishing, and more. This is a podcast for those who cannot live without the joys and wonders of all things wild. Find Your Forest wherever you get your podcast or at yourforestpodcast.com. That's yourforestpodcast.com. Welcome back, everyone, to I Have Some Notes. Let's fix robot jocks. Uh, I got my notes, but uh, I'd love to hear 
Um, actually, I'd love to hear our... Oh, guest Scott. You, Scott's no. raising a hand in the video chat. Great for podcast. No, if you want to go to our guest first, I mean, guest's privilege. Olav, if you have some notes, let's hear them. Or is it just questions, like you said? <laughs> I mostly have questions. Uh, but, you know, if I'm going to give one... The one main note I have is focus it on the character who has the less privilege. Have it be you know, the person coming up through the ranks instead of the already established, uh, like, dude on the verge of retirement, because no- yeah. nothing pays off from that. And um, more robot fights, uh, and less stupid robot fights. Like, I'm sorry, the tactics in that last robot fight <laughs> make absolutely no sense. The blinding, then not doing anything, the, the flying off into outer space. It, it just, it doesn't hang together. Explain my favorite part more. about that, bl- my favorite part about that blinding thing is like the idea that like the, the pilot had no idea how it worked at all before even being able to use it. Like what a horrible way to send someone into battle where they could possibly die. And we're like, use this very like, special weapon, but we're only going to tell you right before the fight. There's spies afoot. What would you do instead? <laughs> um, Miramoto's hands were tied. And I mean, you, you've got Joe Haldeman. That's Moto's hands were tied. Sorry. You've got Joe Haldeman there. Let, let Joe Haldeman be Joe Haldeman. Make a Joe yeah. Haldeman movie, not a schlock fest. Have a good sci-fi writer write your, your, yeah. your crap. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I've been reading the, the oral history of, of Star Trek, and like one thing that I've, I've learned is what a revolving door it is for screenwriters. Uh, you know, like they just kind of come in and out and like they, they hire them because, you know, based on like books they wrote and stuff like that. And then they, they come in and they're like, yeah, let's do it. And then they're like, we hate your stuff. See you later. And like that happens all the time. Um, so Scott, I think you, you have a little, you went deeper than I did. So if, if I may, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead. You, Cause okay. I tried to keep mostly what was here. Um, and just change my biggest problems with it. Where from uh, the little chat we had, I think you've really, uh, 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 gone to town on this thing. So, if you will indulge me, this is how I say you fix robot jocks. The biggest problems are, like we said, a lack of robot fighting. The spy thing is sh- uh, um, obvious from the get go, uh, and they s- set up this second class citizen situation and then don't pay it off. Uh, and there's a weird, like a lot of like she can't do it. She's a woman. Um, which is just needless. And I know it's of a time, but it's just like, come on. Yeah. So this is in, in a few, as few beats as possible. I say we first off, just lose the woman hate and put it all in on Tubi hate. We hate Tubies. They're no good. We don't trust them. They can't be, they can't be, uh, um, confided in or, or trusted. Um, they're, they're, they're no good. These Tubies don't trust them. Don't want them. Uh, everything up until the inciting incident stays the same. It was my favorite part of the movie, him falling on the spectators and then just being like so precious about it, like they're all bleeding and shit. It, I loved it. So even though it was very silly inciting incident, I think it sets the tone for this movie. And I won't, I don't want to see a thing changed with the uh, w- why he quits because <laughs> he fell on a bunch of people watching next to a battle, a robot battle. Um, we still get the suspicions that there's a spy right after that fight um but uh 
we then instead move to having another robot fight that's maybe like for a different territory or slightly lower stakes and this is where athena shows her capabilities they put her in the in the pilot or in the cockpit she has a fight with like i don't know another runner a tube uh, a russian tubey right um we see how good she is but achilles does have to run in and save her right at the end she's gonna She's going to hurt herself. And this is also his opportunity to, quote unquote, fall in love with her. Flimsy as that might be. So she's. we see that she's good at it. We see that she's a good robot jockey. Suspiciously good, in fact. And we begin to see suggestions, even like really obvious suggestions, the way this movie obviously suggests its text, that she's the spy. Um, there's the whole line at the beginning about how like the Russians are making tubies. We got to make tubies. Um everyone's starting to think that athena she's just too good and there's a spy we don't trust her because we don't trust tubies um maybe the only person going to bat for her is matsumoto achilles quits like he does in the movie keep all that the same and then he returns when they announce that athena is going to fight just like he does in the movie the only change here is he makes it clear to the audience that he's going back because he cares about her right which is like implied in the movie even at the end but it's not really spelled out uh and tex asserts to all the characters that achilles is returning because he's got to stop that damn spy he's pushing he's deflecting right he's pushing away so now when it is revealed pretty much the same way it is in the movie that tex is actually the spy it's actually a twist it's actually a surprise because we have been led to believe it's athena dun 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 it's text uh tex and that's that's more or less it. The only change, other change, is right at the end that final fight. Um, Achilles is fighting, and she has to run out to save him. At the end, she gets in and she finishes the fight. She becomes the hero. He retires. She becomes the new pass the torch hero, and maybe they have a real non-test do baby kid together. But <laughs> yeah, in the first fight she has, he has to run out and save her. He almost dies in the last fight. She finishes it. And I guess so. I guess you cut the thing where she like steals their mech from him. That's my fix. <laughs> I'm iterating on that um, mm. because you've hit on some of the stuff that I want to do, and you've also done some interesting stuff. Um, sure. So I don't think you need that extra fight in there. I think that um, because I don't like that Achilles has to save her at all. I don't think that that's good for her character. I think that's macho nonsense that doesn't need to be here. I think that um, I do agree that there needs to be prejudice against the Tubies, and Alexander needs to be embodying that. But I think that it it needs it could be a double whammy that she's also a woman because there's never been a woman robot jocks, there's never been a Tubie robot jock, and Alexander is the best of the best. He's he's won every fight. He wants to bring down Achilles and put the final notch on his belt, like all of the greatest. I've beaten them all, and the idea that he might have to go up against a Tubie and a woman nonsense he would never like he would never it's beneath him so you've got that built in and then achilles gets in the draw with him kills all the spectators and he's like i'm out i've fought my 10 fights legally i don't have to be here anymore i'm out and that's when they're like well i guess a tubi is going to get a shot and athena wins the shot just the same as in the movie but in this version achilles does still like her and he's happy for her 
and he's seen how much she wants it. And so he is there to back her. And so when we get to that last fight with Alexander, who's being a real jerk about this, like I was here to go up against Achilles. He's a coward. I'm going to have to go up against this Tubi and this woman, and I'm going to beat her so hard that no one puts a Tubi or a woman in the pilot seat of a robot again for a thousand years. Like, that's kind of where he's coming in on this. Like, he is an absolute pig about it. And so Achilles shows up to the fight not to stop her or to take over for her, but to back her. And when Tex is revealed as the as the traitor... That gives Achilles the chance to step in as the coach, but actually be a good one. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, Sick, I like this. And, and this is where the, the passing of the torch happens, because now he's in her ear, and he's giving her the advice, and he's giving her the secrets that she was asking for at the beginning of the movie. Like, what makes you so good? What gives you the, the ability to keep doing this? And this is where he's like, it's, you know, you got, he's given her the rocky pitch, you know? Like, you got to <laughs> be able to get back up, no matter how many times you get knocked down. The fight, you book like a wrestling match. And I mean this very literally. You have it so that because you've got a face and you've got a heel. And you've got the the heel comes in with all the swagger, completely overconfident. And the, the face starts out the match with some solid hits. Gets it, it looks like, oh, the face has this. And the it gives the, the heel on the back foot to start. And then the heel has to like dig down and cheat and start fighting real mean against her. And then she... When she's just, it looks like she might be down and out. There's Achilles in her ear, like, you got to get back up. She does. It looks like she's going to make a comeback, but then you have the little swerve. He does something that puts her right on her back and cripples the robot. And this is where, this is my big finale for this movie. The robot is crippled, and she's like, I can't beat this guy in the robot. He's too good. He's got too much experience. And this is where you have Achilles go, who said you have to beat him with a robot? And she's like, ah. And she does what Achilles does in the movie. She bails on the robot. But in this version, Alexander goes to step on her like he did that guy at the beginning of the movie. And when he he squashes the robot cockpit and he lifts up his foot, he sees she's climbed up on the foot. And this is where you pay off the stupid jungle gym thing that she had to go through to win oh, the spot. Yeah. <laughs> she starts climbing the robot and he starts freaking out. He starts trying to like knock her off and it's this like Taylor versus the giant thing. He's damaging his own robot trying to punch her <laughs> and she's scrambling up and she gets to the cockpit. She wrenches it open. She dives in and she just beats the crap out of Alexander and throws him out of his own robot and he plummets to the ground and crashes there and he's like, oh no, I think my back is broken and he looks up and she takes the control and she steps on him and that's how she wins the the fight with his own robot good guys win alexander gets his comeuppance athena gets her moment and achilles patches the torch there's your finale for this movie you i mean me. it's pretty good I, that's I, pretty good <laughs> yeah i like that a lot it's better than mine all i really want to keep from mine is i just wanted the spy thing to be more subtle and legit so you can just tuck in some some either either making people think athena's the spy or people maybe maybe they lean in and do try to make you think Matsumoto's the spy. Or maybe they even hint that Achilles could be the spy. I was thinking that too. Um, it would mm. be kind of interesting. I'd like I, the other thing I was thinking with Athena, uh, something that might add a little bit more intrigue to the character and maybe a little bit of world building is that like instead of having the Tubies be like people that are like genetically engineered to be pilots of the robots. Um, have it be more of like a humanity survival tactic. Like they're making like, it's, you know, so like it, 
there's one scene in the movie where he visits his is is it Achilles' brother, I think, or something like that. Anyway, they've got like six kids because they're trying to repopulate the Earth. So they're actually yep. using the tubies to repopulate. Uh, the earth is you know faster because they you know people just can't have enough kids right and there's not a a big there's the population isn't large enough and not viable enough so these tubies that's why they're discriminated against because like nobody likes like this this sort of genetically engineered uh race or whatever they don't consider them uh they consider them or sort of subhuman maybe not necessarily they're not slaves necessarily but they're they're not as free as everyone else they're definitely an underclass right and athena is the one person who's one too who's managed to crack all the all through that and get herself into the robot jocks program right and like that kind of gives her that real extra underdog uh feeling to bring her up into the uh, into the movie yeah i think i think we've fixed the glaring problems with this film (laughs) guys yeah it's really it's all there it's all there to see um sweet yeah i don't know i don't I love it. Let's let's go to listener comments. Swish. <laughs> Swish. This one. It's all there. The movie, like we said at the beginning, it like a shaggy dog story, it serves up lots of interesting stuff and then just abandons it. Yeah. So it's just a matter of being like, well, like we just came along, we're like, are you are you gonna finish that? Yeah. <laughs> and then we we finished it. <laughs> uh, so let's hear from our listeners. Uh, thank you everyone who submits when we uh, solicit these. Please hit us up on our social medias. Uh, I have some notes on Facebook at I have some notes on Twitter and at I have some notes pod on Instagram. Uh, your comments, we read them. That's it's a group effort here, and <laughs> I have some notes. Uh, Andrew Craig says. One cannot simply fix robot jocks. It is literally the godfather of robot fighting movies starring the guy from Alienation TV series. That is a very narrow uh, specification for where it is the godfather of. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I believe it. <laughs> How many other uh, giant robot movies are there starring the guy from the Alienation TV series? That's my question. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to pick a specific one, but I couldn't come up with anything quick enough. <laughs> I was like, what's another movie that has a very specific thing? Um, but I didn't. I just said it. Because that's good podcasting. Uh, Tony comments, Robot Jocks is amazing. Nothing to fix with this. The miniature work was revolutionary of its time. The only problem is the same problem every movie of that period has. Shitty machismo sexism. So Tony prefaces that there's nothing to fix with this movie and then follows that up with except for this problem <laughs> obviously tony there's a problem like, with the movie like, you, so you have notes of a problem with the movie note? and more the society it was made in sorry <laughs> yeah notes for his notes that's that's what happens when you <laughs> no when you caption. submit to a podcast call i have some notes <laughs> Uh, two idiots and a dog say you don't fix what isn't broken that movie is an absolutely perfect piece of trash yeah it was a romp it's a good it's a good bad movie it's a good b movie yeah Um, for sure this is this is the kind of movie you get you get like a couple drinks and like maybe stoned and watch with like some friends after midnight one night and just have a good time with it yeah or uh seems like a good um mystery science theater candidate yeah, yeah. Quick aside, but you guys see that they're they're launching their own, Mystery Science Theater is launching their own streaming service. They, I think they have done it, and they've already released the first episode or so, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, 
yeah, those seem to seem like an interesting uh, yeah. way to do it. I, I wish them the best. Um, Chris Campbell says that fight sequence was a bit undercooked. It's hard to see how the hand to hand combat skills would be transferable. <laughs> yeah, this is definitely something that uh, uh, Pacific Rim would uh, improve upon decades later. Yeah. I, I guess we, we settled on we don't need more robot fights, but I guess I did still want more robot fighting. Like, those scenes were fairly sparse. Like, they yeah. weren't long, drawn-out battles. They were, like, a few exchanges of blows. That's why I said you need to book it like a wrestling match. Yeah. And, and I mean, literally, if I was remaking this movie, I would bring in, a, like, a, a veteran professional wrestler to help me book out the robot fight. Jeff Martin comments, I need to watch this before it leaves Tubi because it sounds like the exact kind of the exact right kind of stupid for me. Correct. I don't think anything leaves Tubi. I think Tubi is where movies go to die. (laughs) I think that's actually their uh, slogan. Yeah. (laughs) They advertise it. And they're kind of like the the DVD discount bin of streaming services. Yeah, hey, there's a place is... for that though. Yeah. I admittedly like I've watched a bunch of schlocky kung fu movies on Tubi because there's a exactly. lot of them on there, and it's fantastic. It's great. I love it. Tax says Stuart Gordon. Surely he's never made an imperfect movie. Okay. I mean, I kind of straining very hard to because I I could recognize his face, but I just could not place where else I've seen him. He seems like one of those that guys director. But yeah. Oh, Stuart Gordon. Oh, sorry. I thought he was talking about uh, what's his name? Gary Graham. Gary Graham. Isn't Gary Graham on NCIS? Is he? I don't Mm. know. I don't watch that kind of stuff. No, me neither. Robin at Cinematological says, add three zeros to the budget and call it Pacific Rim. I mean, Except that they, this movie, <laughs> I said to Greg earlier, this movie is Pacific Rim if you bought it on Wish.com. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it doesn't have any giant monsters, though. That's the, the one thing that it's missing from the yeah. formula. Yeah. I would say, though, Robin, like if you if you do that, then you have to fix Pacific Rim, which is... <laughs> You know, also not a very perfect movie. Which, to be fair, we have. Look at our back catalog. (laughs) And lastly, Aaron Beaver says, more medieval peasant hats in this giant robot movie. Look, it's a (laughs) post-apocalyptic future. There's no reason that the proles couldn't all be dressed completely as medieval peasants. I would have bought it. (laughs) You have an upper class who are all in their shiny spacesuits and giant fighting robots, and you have an underclass who are just, like, wearing burlap. Perfect. Yeah, with uh, COVID masks. So, well, that concludes our episode on robot jocks. Uh, what a delight, uh, Olav! Thank you very much for for joining us. Thank you very much for having me, despite my slight bit of COVID fog. <laughs> hey, hey it's... thanks so much for toughing it out. I know it's, it can be tough, so appreciate it. Nope, we're uh, love your insights. Glad to have you. Uh, you know, just the fact that you, you you've uh, bumped shoulders with the writer of this. Yeah, that was uh, cool. The kind of same with like when we brought you on for X Men, and you're like, oh yeah, I've contributed to the Marvel Encyclopedia. I'm like, of course you have. And of course you know the guy who wrote this movie. So loved having you. Please check out Olav's work over at the Hugo Book Club blog, which you can find uh, by googling Hugo Book Club blog and going to the blog. Those search results yield, or follow him on Twitter at Hugo underscore Book underscore Club. Thank you. Yeah. 
Thanks for joining us, and of course, uh, all of you. You can also, when you're when you're f- uh, finding Olav, uh, find us wherever it is you're listening to this. Uh, please give us a review, a subscribe, a like, whatever little call to action button is on your preferred podcast platform. Do that. We appreciate it. You know, I think it's pretty safe to say that Emily didn't miss out on Robot Jocks, but she did miss out on a bunch of good pop culture. And you can join her and Brienne on the podcast, Emily Missed Out. Check that out right now with other great podcasts at albertapodcastnetwork.com. Until then, I'm your host, Liam Kreswick. I'm Scotty Bourgeois. I'm Greg Beaver. Keep watching the skies! Hi there, I'm Brendan, a certified home inspector with Rumi. Do you have a problem that needs fixing? Whether it's big or small, inside or outside, let me help you find out what's really going on. You can call me by phone, or we can take a look together over video chat. Visit rumi.ca, that's R-U-M-I and go to Ask a Home Inspector to book your appointment with me today.